and welcome to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Kevin O'Carroll and Jonathan Morrissey. Everyone, welcome to 2023. It's a brand new day. It's a brand new year. We've left that cesspool of 2022 behind us. <laughs> Time to move on. Yeah, I'm still sad. No. Yeah, I think we will be forever, but that's fine. Yeah. Video oh, games. Good. Yeah, exactly. And Jonathan, Kevin, not leaving you out, but I am for a second. Jonathan, this is technically our third calendar year doing this podcast. Yeah, we're almost we're, we're approaching the two year point. So I just want to take a moment to say, you know, it's a new year and I, for one, am grateful to be here doing this with you two. I really enjoy doing this, but I want to talk to the audience for a second as well. And just like, thanks for listening to Hey Look Listen, bringing us into 2023. And it's still a kind of hobby territory, but this is literally one of my favorite hobbies. So, you know, if anyone who listens, you're really appreciated and you're, you're cherished almost, I would say. And I'm going to put words in the other guy's mouth, but they love you. Every single one of you. Oh, but well, forget about 2023. We're fucking looking back one more time before we march bravely forth into an unknown future. Goddamn 2022. Um, we're just going to, like, we're not doing a ranking or a list or anything. We just, we've decided we're just, we each just going to talk about whatever game we want to talk about that we played during 2022. Mostly games that came out in that year, but one of one the case, you know, just, just just wants to talk about whatever he goddamn wants, doesn't he? won't say who. When you when you cheeky blighters just want to talk me. about any old game. But uh, before we get on to that, before we start listing games, um, what is everyone playing? Kev, do you want to start? Yeah, so I, um, this Christmas, I, like a grown-up adult, 30-something-year-old man, got an Xbox. Um, <laughs> so I've never owned an Xbox before. I've never I've never made the foray onto Team Green. Um, Is that what we call it? I don't know. Mm. I just, I said it, it felt like a thing. We, we've all been calling it that for years. Liam, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, we called it Team uh, Sex Box. <laughs> so I, I got it. I got a Series S primarily as a Game Pass machine. Um, so I've booted up Game Pass. I've played a ton of stuff in the past couple of weeks because I was laid up with COVID and it's what you do apparently. Um, but last night before going to bed, like I was like, I've about five, 10 minutes. I'll just throw something on. And then I'll go to bed. I was like, I won't even download it. I'll just cloud stream it through Game Pass. I'll just play something. And I put on Power Wash Simulator. <gasps> and I lost about three hours of my life. Great. Yeah. I just became fully engulfed in it. If I had found it like a week earlier, I wouldn't be talking about it now. I would probably be including it as my game of the year. <laughs> I cannot stress how good this game is. Do you know what do you know? Do you know what this is, Liam? I know from Marcy's reaction, I know he's on board. But Liam, I haven't heard of it. It's a self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You you mm-hmm. power wash stuff. Yeah, it's that's so good. good. I like seeing that in video form. You get sometimes. like there's like it starts off and there's a van and it's really fucking dirty. It's a dirty <laughs> fucking van. You got your power washer and you got like different sized nozzles and you 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 power wash it. So satisfying. And then there's a back garden and then that's really fucking dirty as well. And you get in there and you're like, there's a fence. And there's a there's, a, there's an empty pond. The birdhouse, you can get inside the birdhouse and clean it out. Oof, well, how long? Person. How long were you alone with this game? Like I said, about three hours. Um, sound, you sound like you, you sound very kind of suggestive about it. Oh, there's nothing suggestive about it. Like the subtext is text. It was erotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly, it's great. Like anyone, if you like playing something a bit mindless with like a podcast on or something, it's maybe one of the best those types of games I've ever come across. Why not this podcast? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you should probably be paying full attention to us no, and all yeah, the super can't. important and intelligent things we say. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Taking notes. 
but yeah, so that's uh, that's what I have been playing, and more than likely what I will be playing immediately after this record. <laughs> nice. I'm actually, and this is not a joke for for random non sequitur. I'm watching the Hunt for Red October after we're recording. Oh, <laughs> I have wow. it downloaded. Great movie. That's a great I movie. Since, yeah. I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Um, might edit that out. Might not. Uh, Jonathan, um, Jonathan, what are you playing at the moment, man? Just before I go, I have a comment on both of those things you said. Yeah. Uh, firstly, uh, I'm not sure if people listen to the podcast know who Limmy is. Limmy is a fantastic mm. Scottish yeah. comedian. I know you guys do. Uh, yeah. He uh, he's a Twitch streamer now. He spent weeks playing uh, that game, like weeks and weeks and weeks. So watch that on YouTube, Liam. It's a good way to. Yeah, he loves um, the game. He loves truck, uh, like tr- truck 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 yeah, 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 hilarious. Um, and also, uh, the Hunt for Red October. Um, Sean Connery is supposed to play a Russian uh, <laughs> yeah. captain or commander, I believe, but just refused to do an accent. Uh, and just sounds, yeah. sounds and it's all the better for us. Yeah, same, yeah. In, same in Highlander. He's supposed to be a Spaniard, isn't he? Yeah. What does not he? What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Fuck off! Oh my god! Mm. What a man! Uh, I wish he'd done that for Darby O'Gill, but there you go. <laughs> um, oh well. Uh, what am I playing? Uh, oh yeah. So I actually only technically finished one of the games I'm going to speak about today. Mm. Uh, today. <laughs> so. Oh cool. Um, I was like, uh, if Liam asks me, what am I playing? I better pick a different game because that'd be really silly um so the next game i'm going to play now is uh the secret of monkey island Um, no way yes have it on the steam deck ready to go i've never played it before it is a special edition um which even just doing a little bit of googling that seems to be a controversial thing in itself um it's it's uh, how i'd recommend you getting into it though just for the kind of palatable way to do it you know well yeah because like there's like a hint system and i know like i've seen what the original looks like and it might might be you know it's 1990 so it might be a little bit a bit of a stumbling block but i'm very excited to play that because i know about you guys but the last few games i've played have all been very loud um like they're either big shooters or just you know big triple a titles so something that's a bit more kind of uh quiet and low-key would be great um, I had hoped to have played another game today, and I'm sickened uh, I haven't. Um, it did come out. I paid money for it. We refused to tell you how much I paid, but my computer oh, no. could not run it. Oh, and no. I, ac- I actually genuinely, and this is not a joke, I had to. I usually use my desktop PC for this podcast. Today I'm using my laptop. Um, so I don't know if my PC is dead or what. But the what? game is I Am Jesus Christ. What the, uh, what's happening? It, so it came out a few <laughs> days ago. I'd heard about it for ages. Um, it is it's on Steam. Uh, it basically is a video game that uh, tracks his life um, from when he was born right up until you know. Well, you know, like things don't. Is this don't, real? Don't end. It's a real game. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a. It's like a very big budget video game. Um, you can watch a bunch of stuff on, on YouTube right now. Uh, I will be doing the same because I can't play it. Um, but I did install it and try to boot it, and my PC basically fucking melted, um, which which appears to wow. be quite an issue of it causing problems with people's graphics cards. So is this some kind um, of like Christian crisis? I, like I am, I I am an atheist, so maybe it knew. Uh, I don't know. Um, but is it a Christian game or is it a parody or what? No, it's it's a very very serious Christian game um, mm. that is really designed to spread the word right, of God, right. like genuinely. Is Kevin Sorbo involved? But it's it's like a first person adventure, and you basically do like all his greatest hits. Should we say you kind of play through those over his life? And it's like good graphics, a full three D world. It uh, looks modern. What what, um, what do you want to see? What kind of? I, I I immediately thought loaves and fishes would be a good level. Yeah, the loaves and fishes sort, sort of mini game, sort of like a yeah. Warren Mains of Edith Finch type thing. Yeah. The crucifixion. 
yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. That, that'd be it's, cool. it should start in media res with the crucifixion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. and then we should go back to the loaves, sneaking into sneaking into the temple. That's part one. You should you should have to kick the shit out of fifty tax collectors throughout the game. <laughs> that'd that'd be great. Um, but so instead, seeing as I couldn't play it, um, yeah. I said I'd grab uh, some reviews from Steam and just okay. read them out and to give you a flavor uh, of how the game has gone down so far. It has a suspiciously high Metacritic score and Steam score, which I think is completely ironic, but it's hard to tell. Um, but here are just a couple of uh, a couple of quotes from the I Am Jesus Christ prologue game, because that's actually its official title. Um, this review was five out of five. I am literally Jesus Christ. But the game won't let me jump over a fence, which is <laughs> true. Uh, this one was zero out of five. Uh, the game was so good that they made an entire religion out of it. I hope nothing bad happens to Jesus. Somebody doesn't know uh, the end of that. This one really made me laugh. The next two did in particular. Uh, this one just said the devs really nailed it. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I'm afraid that the game won't live up to the... The, the reviews yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just the comments this next one right I have not been able to say this today without laughing I'm going to try my best here it's not even that funny really it's just you know something kind of catches you uh, it was 5 out of 5 <laughs> this, ge- this game really makes me feel like Jesus Jimmy Bones Christ <laughs> Oh, no, it's so funny. But it genuinely is uh, and the last one plays bad looks bad and performs bad ironically enough there is no redeeming quality to this video game um, well, all right. So yeah, so hopefully when I come back in two weeks, I'll have played it. And I, maybe... I genuinely hope you have. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I, I own it now, so I'm going to try. Yeah. Do you think the game will resurrect your PC like Lazarus? Mm. I, I, mm, I hope so. No, no. <laughs> PC's dead. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, yeah. uh, what about you, Liam? I sent Kev a mysterious message about a week ago. Mm-hmm. I said, Kev, I've been thinking about Sonic the Hedgehog. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a bit completely true. And I'll tell you, Marcy, what happened was the new Sonic Frontiers game is getting like very divisive from people who love it and people saying it's kind of crap. And I realized in my heart, I wanted it to be bad. And I was like, why? Why did I want it to be bad? Because I'm just so anti-Sonic because, you know, modern Sonic is shit. So I like looked within myself and I was like, other than the 16-bit revamp Sonic Mania, I haven't played a proper Sonic game since like the Nintendo DS. I looked it up, 2004, Sonic Rush. And I was like, Kev, should I play Sonic Frontiers? I'm like, does my soul need this? And he was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Great advice. Yeah. So I actually just crawled back into my nest of nostalgia and I downloaded Sonic Origins, which came out this year, which is a collection of the Mega Drive Sonic games, Sonic Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic Knuckles and the Redheaded Stepchild Sonic CD. And do you know what ended up happening? I had fun playing a video game. Oh, I just, Sonic games are really good. They're really good. And see, there's two there's two wolves inside me. One, <laughs> one is blue Literally and one is right red. Now. We have to cancel the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Look, one is like, is, is classic Sonic inherently, intrinsically flawed with its need for speed matching its kind of tight levels and unavoidable uh, obstacles? Or is it just like a 30-year-old game that can just be kind of bad in bits and kind of be shitty? And one wolf has devoured the other. It's that one. It's The old Sonic games are really fun. They're like, they're like, there's bits in them that made me like, there's isolated bits in each of the games that made me like almost pull my hair out. But like, it's it's kind of the exception that proves the rule. The, stuff, the flow, the kind of, the, the, the speedy platforming, the quick second decisions and stuff like that. 
but what happened, right? As I got to Sonic 3, and three levels couldn't have their original music in it in this new version. And pop quiz, do either of you know why maybe some licensing disagreements might mean that Sonic can't use three of its tracks? Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson wrote them. What? No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been like this wives' tale for years about like Michael Jackson doing some work on Sonic 3. And this seems to confirm that three of the levels didn't have... Um, weren't they weren't included in this version of the old Sonic games because of that. And you know what I kind of realized? I started enjoying the game way less without the original music. And I kind of made me realize that it really is just it's this vibey, it's the vibey aesthetics. The gameplay meets the chunky 90s, 16-bit graf- graphics meets the music. Take one of those elements out, and as good as a platformer it is, I was having way less fun. Now I like I'm going to enjoy Sonic because it couldn't be something more there couldn't be something more nostalgic for me. Like I was a baby when I play Sonic One. Sonic is the reason yes, why, like, it's, Sonic is the reason why I I'm lo- I love video games. They were just the first ones that were handed to me. Like, it's it's so funny. Like, if you're born in like the fifties or something, and you're like, oh, I had a, I don't know, a nanny who used to sing Old MacDonald to me. If I could hear that again, it would make me into a child. But like us at our fucking age of media, I'm just like, oh, I can put on Sonic One and listen to the Marble Zone music. I'm fucking yeah. four years old again immediately, you know. So I can't really kind of judge them. As as you know, an outside party. But I went a little bit further in my nostalgia, and I played Sonic Adventure. I dusted off my PS3. Uh, yeah. Shocking, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> shocking. <laughs> and I do have a ton of nostalgia. I got that for Christmas with the Dreamcast, nineteen ninety nine. Mm. Probably my favorite Christmas ever. And again, banging soundtrack. Like I've never listened to like Beatles the White Album, but <laughs> oh wow, where is does it go, go as hard as old Sonic games? <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> you had the 16-bit ones, like even Sonic Adventure. But outside of that, um, that soundtrack, uh, woeful. Um, and I was like, no, I don't have, I don't have the energy to be doing this. So I played about an hour of it, and I was like, yep, this can stay in my memories, where it's like warm and fuzzy and nostalgic. So yeah, I played Sonic Origins, the collection, which is technically I could have included in the games of 2022 because it did come out. And people say people online are really unhappy <clears throat> with it as a collection, but. It was on sale, and for my needs, it kind of it, it does this thing where you can play adventure mode, where you can play Sonic One, CD, Two, and Sonic Three and Knuckles as one continuous game with new cool, anima- cool. with new animated cutscenes put into the middle of them. And I was just like, yeah, for twenty quid, uh, the, yeah, to kind of incite my nostalgia and give me that kind of new way to play it. Uh, I was happy with it. So yeah, Sonic. I don't think I'll ever do a full Sonic episode on this podcast. So every now and then, I'll snake him in, you know, <laughs> snake him into the cracks whenever yeah. I can. Yeah, I'm not sure if I said this when we did an episode about Crash and spoke about some platformers, Liam, but um, Sonic was also like one of the first games that I played on the Mega Drive and one a big influence on me as a kid. And my dad, to wind me up, would intentionally call him by the wrong names <laughs> before eventually settling on Barry the Electronic Hamster. <laughs> and like, even though I knew it was a bit, like child Ken was like, no. That's not, he's a hedge. Look at them. Spiky. He's a hedgehog. <laughs> I love that. It's brilliant. Uh, I was going to say, Liam, is that the only game from your childhood you think that uh, included a pedophile, but now that pedophile content has been removed? Let me think for a second. Well, definitely the Gary Glitter Bonanza, <laughs> which, which was a game on the PS1, which I thought was fantastic. Bish Bash probably had a, some sort Bish of Bash is, Well, Bish Bash is special in Japan. Sorry, not outside of Japan. It's called Jimmy Savile's Bish, 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 Bish Bash is special. 
Yeah, the subtitle <laughs> Jim O'Bishit. <laughs> oh, lads, we are floundering around. It's time to get to the main main topic. We're yeah, so it's Elden Ring, right? Elden the air is Elden Ring. Hold on now, hotshot. <laughs> I think I think here's what I was thinking. Because I think believe Jonathan has a game he wants to talk about that technically didn't come out in 2022. For continuity, do you want to start with that one, Jonathan? Yes. Perfect. Um, That's totally fine. Um, So the game I speak to about today came out in 1966. Um, (laughs) So I I, I didn't get the memo about this episode at all. No, I genuinely did think this game uh, came out in uh, 2022. Um, Honestly, my whole life, my whole adult life has been this way, um, where when something comes out, whether it's a movie, a TV show or whatever, you guys and, and Owen in particular always seem to be kind of, you know, in the know and happening. Uh, you're playing the new stuff that's coming out. I, for some reason, maybe it's because I'm from the countryside, uh, I didn't get to play games for months later. And I don't know why. It's because it's a big backlog and slow. Um, but the game I'm talking about today, it came out in October 2021. So that's pretty close, right? We'll, so we'll allow it. Okay, thank, thank God. Ooh, change your tune. Um, anyway, uh, so the last year, look, because of like, the Steam Deck, right, I played mostly older games. Um, I genuinely did. Had a little list I made, like I stuck to mostly. Um, but the majority of the games I played were like from the, say, 2010s. Um, a lot of that's because the Steam Deck, that's kind of what it can really run well right now. Um, and also because nothing super great came out for the PS5. Some Elder Ring or something that came out, I don't know what it's called. Um, <coughs> but I, th- that's kind of what I, I kind of stuck with for the year. Um, but there was two games. One. There was one game I played that came out in 2022, and then another game that came out, in, in, as I said, in October 2021. Um, if I was to be actually honest, though, the two best games I played this year were actually probably Mario Galaxy and Undertale. Um, but I think it's a good thing to not talk about them today because, and I, maybe I'm wrong here, so correct me. We've never done a podcast in either of those games before, have we? No, no, okay. but- no, they've they're both amazing. In, yeah. yeah, they've come up in the periphery of things, but no, we haven't actually. Okay, them. good. Because I think they both deserve um, you know, an, an entire episode each, um, particularly For Undertale sure. is like one of my favorite games of all time. Hmm. Um, so I kind of said, look, what else can I look at? I thought about Football Manager. Uh, as you this do? Year. Yeah, as I always do all the time whenever I'm alive um, and awake. Uh, I played a combined total, I checked, of 280 hours of Football Manager uh, last year. Uh, so between Football Manager 22 and 23. Um, not wrong with them because they weren't very good, uh, which I don't know what that says about me. Uh, but uh, 22 was a rehash of 21 and 23 was a rehash of 22. Um, so, which if you look at the Steam reviews, people have, have kind of shown that. Um, so what I thought I'd talk about um, is The Guardians of the Galaxy, um, which is a game that I kind of, I suppose, fell into playing, really. Um, you know, it hadn't been kind of really on the radar that much um, or something that I'd kind of hoping to play um i i've loved the characters for a long time i love the movie i love the like the 2014 uh, james gunn movie um i don't think i've read any of the comic books um i don't think they were like back in like say infinity war and those kind of collections back then i don't think they'd really kind of become uh, the characters who they are today to like later on maybe early 2000s um but uh i do remember uh very vividly watching the e3 uh trailer uh or kind of gameplay trailer with liam uh, and Owen and oh, Pal yeah. was there. Kev, were yeah. you there as well? No, I wasn't. But I, I okay. I heard from Liam afterwards. <laughs> yeah, okay, I did yeah. Because I remember because I, I, I we would have met then. Um, I remember like what was it tw- June twenty twenty one? 
Um, E3 wasn't that great that year, I don't think. I think there was anything particularly memorable that, that came out of it. Um, so I guess they thought, let's just really push this you know, Guardians game, give it most of the, the, the time slot. I, I try to really think back to how I felt about seeing it for the first time. It felt like the longest gameplay trailer that's ever fucking existed. Yeah. Uh, I felt like... The three of us, because usually when I'm when I get together with the guys that you know on you know on a Zoom call or whatever, we're having a few drinks, we have a good time. There was a lot of silence because I think it just kind of really <laughs> it sucked killed. the energy out of the room. Yeah, like you're still they're still showing the Guardians of the Galaxy again. Like, yeah, twenty five minutes later, no exaggerations. Because <laughs> we're just there for the reveals, you know. You exactly, want to yeah. keep rattling them off. Yeah, you want you want to get that kind of that buzz of like, oh, a new game is coming, new thing, new thing, new thing. Um, and like it also when I think back about it. It didn't look very good. Like, it, no. I think it was first. It was very jarring that you know it was a completely new cast, mm. which you know they did with Marvel's Avengers as well. Um, which I'll get you later. I think that that was a good thing to do. Um, but it also just was really annoying. Like they obviously picked this, and it actually that gameplay. I went back and watched the video earlier today. It's very similar to the actual piece you play in the actual game, um, and it's this hot, like intense amount of interaction with quip after quip and joke after joke, and it's. And like I, I think the, the trailer is actually nine minutes. By the way, Liam, it's a nine-minute gameplay trailer. <laughs> I remember what I mind. remember. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's literally how I felt as well. Um, and but it's so annoying. It's like oh, rockets really loud and obnoxious. I get it. Drax is you know doing the Dave Bautista thing. You know, it, it's it's just like it's a lot. And it's like oh god. So I at that moment was like, that's the worst game that will come out in twenty twenty one. Technically, yeah. Um, I probably said 2022 the time. Um, and so I was like, that I'm not gonna play it. that's not on the list at all. Um, and then I guess it kind of I was kind of I was in a weird kind of spot. So, as I said, I've been making these lists of games I want to play and then kind of just seeing what, what kind of tickles my fancy. Um, uh, God of War was kind of next, um, on kind of what I wanted to play. Then looked at this crazy backlog and I'm like, okay, I feel bad, I need to start playing through these backlog games. Um, uh, and I didn't. I just went off and found Guardians was on uh, PlayStation Plus. And I was like, I'll play that instead, actually. Um, uh, for the last few months, I'd kind of heard rumors that, you know, it had been a bit of a, it was a sleeper hit, maybe is a good way to kind of put it. Um, you know, I watched a few YouTube videos. That's, I think Skill Up did like a big kind of, you know, video on it and how he, he really loved it. And it was like kind of a, Kind of got under the radar. It was fantastic. Um, who else did one? Um, I think what Game Ranks did a, a little kind of you know the Before You Buy series. If you ever watched that, they talked about how great it was um, as well. Um, and so I said, yeah, let me kind of jump into this with the full expectation I would turn it off after ten minutes um, because I wasn't that kind of funk. Where I didn't really know what I kind of wanted to play. Um, it didn't hook me right away. First, I would say I got it on PlayStation Plus. Uh, I don't think I would have paid money for it. And even now saying it's one of my favorite games of the year, I probably still wouldn't um, because I'm 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 really tight. Maybe that's what that means. Uh, I don't know. Um, but it's kind of, I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I think my, my kind of uh, expectation was something like maybe Marvel's Avengers. I'm not sure if either of you guys played that. Um, steaming pile of shit. Like, actually, oh, it's awful. It's this terrible uh, live service kind of tried to be story-driven kind of video game. It was awful. Um, I didn't actually play it or own it. Um, I played it at someone's house uh, back in Canada, and they love it. I'm not going to bring up their name in the podcast because that shame them because um, they have terrible taste in video but games. they know who they are. <laughs> they do because they listen to it and they comment after every episode we do. Uh, oh so God, I can't wait. Why to are you doing this, though? I 
fuck them. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I, I got it free as places and plus. And I said, look, I'll jump into this and, and give it a go. At, at worst, I'd probably be like a fun little quick kind of romp I can play through. Um, or at best, I should say. And at worst, I'll just turn it off and, you know, won't have lost any money. Um, I, I absolutely love this. Like, I, it, I genuinely, I, it's been a long time uh, since something kind of, I really, really want to get back to it every time I finish playing it. Um, it's not a particularly long game. I would say probably about maybe 20 hours and something I'll talk about in a bit as well, um, which kind of suited me down to the ground right now. Um, but I, look, for anyone who does know who the Guardians of the Galaxy are, which is a, it's a weird sentence. Um, but if, you know, if you don't know what the game is about or anything like that, you basically take control um, of Star-Lord. Um, which actually, sorry, that kind of sucks. You can't take control of any other character in the game, by the way, um, which is a bit disappointing. You're, you're, you're constantly seeing everything through the eyes of, of Peter Quill. Um, and then you've got the rest of the Guardians. You have Groot, Rocket, Gamora, and Drax. And as I said, they've all been kind of recast um, as opposed to, you know, um, uh, the cast in the movie. I think it's a great thing. I think Chris Pratt's a bit mental now. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I love kind of what he's about. Um, he's definitely played I Am Jesus. I oh, think he, for sure, yeah, yeah. He's probably, he's probably an executive producer on it. He probably oh, yeah. plays him. He probably did it in the same booth as Mario. Yes, yeah, he's in the same <laughs> voice for all three. Same voice. Get both projects done, yeah. It's a me, Christ. <laughs> yeah, imagine you got them confused. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, so it's like kind of early on in their careers, right? They're, uh, they're space pirates, but no one knows who they are. Um, and really, the, the big thing is they have to kind of steal this rare monster and deliver it to, uh, uh, I think her name is Lady Hellbender, um, who's like this Great kind name. of, yeah, she's amazing. It's a crazy goddess. Um, things don't go right and things go a bit arseways. Um, and, and, you know, they end up kind of going through this wild adventure, ups and downs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the plot as in actually go into the details about it because that's what was so good, which is really like talk about just like subverting your expectations. I really thought that would be the biggest afterthought of the whole game. Um, I thought, you know, early on, I'm even like, the, the gameplay is decent. Like, you know, the combat's fairly good. Um, it's very similar to kind of Mass Effect where, you know, you've got you know, waves of enemies before you get to certain waypoints in a mission. Um, you can tell Drax can use a special ability, you can more to use a special ability, and you can kind of level them all up as you go along, right? Um, I kind of thought that's what was going to be kind of rinse and repeat, have some sort of cameo from someone uh, and then kind of move on and have a bit of a by the, you know, by the numbers kind of story. Um, it wasn't like that at all. It was, it, it kind of, it, it, again, I, I'm trying to figure out how I can talk with this without giving bits of it away. So look, I'll just say a few spoilers here. If you, if you want to play it, you know, turn, turn the podcast off, turn it back on though in a while, just keep turning it off and on again until you don't hear my voice uh, and you should be fine. Um, but it basically, one of the big themes that runs throughout the game is the theme of losing a family member, um, which is like a, such a heavy thing for a video game, particularly a Marvel comic book video game to try and tackle. Um, and it, that kind of theme runs throughout each of the characters and through each of the kind of the missions. Now, you do have kind of missions that are a bit more kind of, you know, fun, um, you know, sneaking into a huge alien prison um you know you get to meet uh, adam warlock uh, which is a really fantastic you know the, the golden god a really really fun kind of mission as well um but there's this one particular mission as well that kind of really starts to talk about this theme um and it's with drax and so uh, i'm not sure how familiar you are with kind of you know 
Drax and in, in his, his background, um, as if I know him. Um, but uh, his uh, his wife and uh, daughter were killed by Thanos, right? Um, and like in the movies, uh, they allude to it, I think, briefly. He obviously wants to kill Thanos, hates him. It kind of drives him. Um, in this, they like fully take that on. And you have this entire chapter where the other guardians basically delve into his psyche um, to help him get over losing uh, his family. Um, and it's it's kind of spun around this idea that there's this, you know, uh, this kind of uh, wizard who's basically taking over people's minds and turning them into kind of soldiers is kind of what's happening. Um, and it's so odd for that to happen to Drax because he's, you know, this really kind of strong-minded guy. So what is it that's making him so susceptible to this? It's, you know, the the most heartbreaking thing you can kind of imagine. Um, and it was so weird because I'm like sitting on the couch and Steph, my partner, is like, oh, you're playing a Marvel game. How's that going? I'm like, it's crushing. <laughs> I'm incredibly, it's emotional. It shouldn't be at all. It's a bit silly, actually. Um, and they're still doing the Marvel humor every now and then, by the way, which I don't know about you guys. I don't know. It's been like, what, 15 years of that humor now? It's starting to wear a little bit thin. Um, sure. But it, it, in in kind of bits and drabs, it, it's fine. Um, but she, Steph has watched me play this and she's like seeing some of the dialogue because I've subtitles on because I'm, you know, in my mid-30s. Um, and she's like, this is like heavy, heavy stuff. And I'm like, I fucking know. Um, but it's really, really well done. Um, and like, because the game has such an incredible uh, like eye for presentation, um, it, it definitely does take a bit from kind of the, the Marvel movies in regards to uh, the way the characters look, you know, the way star lord is he is kind of just he looks like a bit more of a vanilla version of chris pratt to be fair um the soundtrack is exactly like the movies you know any major kind of culted from the 70s or 80s or 90s is on the soundtrack which but but that, i think that's a great thing like it's fantastic yeah. fantastic yeah some fantastic mu- uh, music in there those mixtapes were brilliant um uh but then i think just kind of adding that kind of story to it it just really felt like an actual proper adult video game which i wasn't really expecting um and absolutely loved um they do uh take it on as well with gamora uh gamora and her sister nebula big spoiler here but maybe it's not a big spoiler at all um she kills nebula uh oh, oh shit does that oh, okay that didn't happen in the movie i couldn't remember if that no. happened in no it didn't okay um well there you go sorry everyone um hope you're still not in it um but no it, it's not actually a part of the game it's just something she talks about and alludes mm-hmm. to in a past life so don't worry um and again, uh, one of the central themes of the game then as well um, is Peter Quill and his mom. Um, and so you get these really cool flashbacks throughout the game um, uh, where you're brought back to the the kind of the early 80s in America where he you know, grew up in a ranch and his mom is trying to basically convince him that, you know, his dad, who he's, you know, he hasn't, he's never met, um, uh, was this incredible uh you know uh was he like a an alien basically um and this commander and was so well respected throughout the universe um and then his mom it also dies um uh and it's just it, it's like oh my god how much death can this game throw at me in a 20-hour period and it's a lot a lot of death apparently um but they just do a genuinely good job of kind of kind of scratching past the ridiculousness of each of the characters because they are absolutely like you know Groot is just seven foot three um rocket is just a raccoon and and like but actually giving them some them some proper kind of adult weight and and proper depth that maybe even the movies didn't do you know the movies are kind of a bit more i don't know a bit more slapstick a bit more kind of you know easygoing and you know not heavy in tone um 
and it just it, it for me it just it felt like a bit of a breath of fresh air of, of a video game um i usually i don't know about you guys it's very rare i play a game that i don't definitely want to play if you know what i mean i've usually because yeah. i don't time is scarce now i guess um as we we all get older uh and I just try to make sure I really want to put hours into something before even kind of giving it a go. Uh, Game Pass is great, though, as you say, Kev, for something like that, where you can just throw it on a few minutes and kind of figure it out. Same with PlayStation Plus. Um, so I'm absolutely delighted I played it. Um, is it actually my best game of 2022? No, it's not. Um, uh, but I do think it's one of those games that I'll probably come back to again in a few years and, and, again, and, and again, probably forget how good it was and, and appreciate again... Uh, I, you know, all over how much I, I loved it. Um, and then there was one other thing about it that, look, I'm going to get so much grief for saying this, okay? But gonna, especially in front of you two fuckers. Um, but huh? I'm going gonna, gonna to do it. Um, I put about 25 hours into Elden Ring, right? Okay. Um, which I can't believe was was last year, by the way. I feel so long ago now. Um, uh, March, March or something, wasn't it? March, March oh yeah. God. Um, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I did. Uh, my voice is really high. Um, I, I just think that Every now and then, it's nice to play something that's really accessible. And now oh, people are going to maybe... 100%. Should, yeah, it, it, you know, Absolutely. it is. And I, and I'm not saying... I don't think, you know, I hate this age-old debate, are, are games getting easier or blah, 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 blah. But I think Guardians, it's actually one of the few games in a long time where I felt the the actual balance for difficulty was just done really, really well. Um, it's it's not particularly it's not super challenging. There are definitely parts with that I absolutely were you know multiple multiple goals to get through it. Um, dialing up the difficulty, I actually felt like it was giving me a really really great challenge. Um, and uh, my partner's playing it now as well, and she tends to just play story mode. She hates when a game is a challenge in any way, and she's probably fucking right. Um, but I think it just it got that really right as well. And I don't know when I look back at the games I played. Uh, last year, particularly Undertale and particularly Elden Ring, um, they definitely tested me uh, and my patience uh, and uh, the love of my relationship um, because <laughs> I, I was an absolute dickhead to be around. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the one of the first games I want to talk about today. And yeah, I hope you guys get around to playing it as well. I actually yeah. played a bit of it. I played a bit of it. Oh yeah, you, you, yeah, you, you put it down, didn't you? For no, for no reason. I was enjoying it. It was literally this time last year. I got it for as a Christmas present last year. I was digging oh. it. It's just time. Time gets weird with these games sometimes, you know? That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I also own a copy of it and just haven't gotten around <laughs> to playing it yet. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. Like, I don't know why I haven't played it. I, I know I'm going to like it. I just haven't. I think it's but even it's, installed on my PS5. I think I put the disc type in, of game, installed though. it, and then just didn't play it. Because like, it didn't sell well at all. Like it, didn't I, I, you know, I was reading about yeah. it today. Um, uh, the Square Enix, uh, they were kind of saying that, it, yeah, we totally recognize the mostly strong reviews it's gotten, but it didn't get anywhere near uh, the sale numbers they were kind of hoping. I do hope they make a second one. Like I would definitely play it, but I'm thinking with that and like Marvel Avengers, that was such a disaster. Yeah. It, it might be very, very unlikely, which which kind of sucks because like when you do play it, the one thing, and I obviously had so much money behind it, but there's a lot of care given to it. There's a, yeah. a, an insane amount of Easter eggs. And so if you've any kind of interest in kind of, um, the comic books in particular, you'll pick up a lot of stuff and see a lot of things. And they actually kind of steer a little bit away of dropping Easter eggs from, say, the movies and things, trying to obviously very be their own separate yeah. thing, um, even if somewhat influenced by it. But um, yeah, it, I, it, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, you haven't played it yet because there's just something about it that doesn't seem to be getting people to really want to jump into it and play it, you know? Yeah, that was, uh, that was Idols Montreal, wasn't it? Idols Montreal, yeah. Yeah, the guys did it. Um, so... Yeah. 
I wonder, is a sequel even possible anymore? Because do did they own the rights to it? Because they've been bought out by Embracer Group now as part of that big sale, that Square sell-off. So maybe not. So maybe if, it, it could Square be Soft dead in the water as it is. To the rights, like, yeah. um, which would leave Otis Montreal free to make a new Deus Ex game instead. But, you know. Ooh, I'd be happy with that. Win-win. Win-win. Kev, do you mind if I go next? I might springboard off of uh, something that Johnson said there. Absolutely. Fill your boots. I am turning in my hipster hat and declaring that my two favorite games of 2022 are arguably the two big mainstream releases. Uh, Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok are my my two favorite games. And I'd love to say it's like, I'd love to go like, oh, it's you don't, you haven't heard of it. It's, just, it's an obscure game, you know, for PC <laughs> called Slugs and Snails. It's about communism, you know. Deep down, like that. You know you're, know. you're really preemptively making me feel pretty bad here, but okay. <laughs> yeah, you, are you going, good. Are you kind of going to offset this with a bunch of indie shit? Yeah. Love that. Love that for us. But um, I don't even want to talk about... Um, these games properly because a I did an episode but own on Elden Ring uh, during the year Elden Ring and Horizon Zero Dawn and kind of I want to do an episode on God of War yes. in more detail on the whole series to be honest sometime if you I wanna okay I want to do it but these games are kind of doomed to be constantly compared to each other which is really annoying because mm-hmm. they're the two they're two big fantasy quote unquote action games that came out in twenty two that are just like on polar opposite sides of kind of design design philosophy. So people just are pitting them together against each other as if you have to stand on one side of the line and like what kind of mainstream game you enjoy. And I'll just begin by saying they're my two favorite games. I love them both unabashedly. I thought they were fantastic. But my kind of attitude is I feel kind of happy that, you know, outside of playing indie games and retro games, when I, if I'm dipping into big, you know, big, very overpriced blockbuster AAA games <laughs> that I have these two different sides of the spectrum. So I can get a very different experience from God of War that I can from Elden Ring because Jonathan, as you so perfectly said, I love Elden Ring, but I don't want every game to be Elden Ring. You know, Christ no, yeah, It'd you know, be awful. Yeah, if Elden Ring's philosophy kind of became more kind of um, ubiquitous, I think it would be a bad thing. Now, I'm so glad it exists because I think it's an absolute masterpiece. But on the other side of that as well, I don't always want to play. Like I said there a while ago, I just had after I finished God of War was when I started playing Sonic. And it was really because, you know, sometimes games are just games and I don't care how good the performance of Kratos is sometimes and the, the mocap and the storytelling. I just want to play a game. However, in God of War, I, like I said, I want to cover God of War fully later on. And Kev, did you end up finishing it? I still haven't finished it. So I'm not going to not going to spoil anyone listening as well. I'm not going to spoil this thing. But I think God of War Ragnarok is a perfect sequel. It did everything it should to kind of evolve and develop from the first game yet quite greedily i'm also going to say i prefer the first game and that could be because first game was more special it was more kind of a special thing but i also think there's there's a certain thing to it i think it's more elegant design in in making ragnarok the perfect sequel it it means it has to grow both in like its narrative scale and in the size of the game itself and i just think god of war ragnarok is a bit too big i think Mm. i think almost every um, scenario, whatever you want to call it, every chunk of the game is a little bit too long. And you can see what mm-hmm. they're doing because this is a very, very narrative-driven game. And I'll just step aside for a second and say, I thought the narrative was fantastic. And I think, most importantly, that central relationship between the two main characters 
is excellently done again. And it's like a perfect development and continuation of stuff we got in the first game. If I was going to analyze the stories of both though and why I kind of prefer the first one, the first one is this great, uh, you know, Norse epic, but it's not really. It's actually a kind of a very character-driven father-son piece um, that is kind of a kind of Norse epic kind of emerges around their kind of... um, their their smaller story well ragnarok is the norse epic with flavoring of kind of this father-son story they think they, they've kind of switched sides and i think i, I heard before that the, this norse chapter of the god of war franchise was originally planned to be three games but they kind of smushed it into two and you can tell with ragnarok that they kind of stuck a lot of story which means some characters there's so many good characters in this game but a lot of them feel underserved yep. there was just too much to try to stick in and you can and the reason why these chunks of the games feel long as you can kind of see yeah on one side of the coin they're going we want uh, we want to have this cool section in this place and we're gonna we're gonna introduce these new mechanics we're gonna introduce these new enemies we're gonna have to play or go through this but i think a lot of what was on their mind designing these things as well was we want these characters to have this whole conversation throughout this whole chunk of the game so these characters could be developed this much by the time the player is done this part of the game which often yeah. means you kind of spend two hours on a bit of the game that might be kind of story-wise, what their character characters are actually working towards is not that interesting. Yeah. And you kind of feel stuck a little bit. But it helps that I kind of enjoy every part of it. I enjoy the, enjoy the interplay between the characters. I adore the combat and the overall story. And I love how it's a big game that opens up every now and then to bigger areas, but it doesn't feel like open world. It doesn't feel like you're going collecting 10 pelts. It's a lot of environmental puzzles. It's a lot of uh ex- exploration without like without properly like using a waypoint or a map now there is some of that like i'll just say like very late in this game you i went on a very like innocuous sounding side quest was like find a dog and that side quest ended up opening this huge open world optional space called the crater it's not even open world's wrong word it's just this big level and I was like, oh, I kind of actually, when I got to it, I kind of did a kind of a beleaguer. So I, kept, I believe you actually stopped playing it at this point, didn't you? That's, I, I finished the crater and put it down. I, I, kind of, I, will, I will go back and finish the game, but I need time. It's too long. It's but too, I was, too yeah. Bloated. I was like, Bob, when I actually ended up doing it, I actually ended up loving it. It reminded me of, um, reminded me of a Banjo-Kazooie level or something like that. Actually, no, more actually, reminded me of a Donkey Kong 64 level. Oh. Because... In Donkey Kong 64, Year of Our Lord, 1999, there's a level called Fungi <laughs> Forest, in which the main mechanic is that you can change the forest between night and day in order for different things to change in the forest. It's exactly what it does, what God of War does in the crater. But it did. It, it, it feels like worthwhile exploration. It felt like I was discovering things. I was solving puzzles. I was opening up, I was opening up side quests in this place. And it was just really cool. It's just that it was packed messily into the end of the game. And if I was to play it again, if I was to recommend to other people who are playing it, is after this point, after that point in the game, you feel like you're towards the end, but you actually have a few bits left to do. And in between every one of those bits, like Kratos essentially goes, we have time, we can do something now or whatever, you know? Yeah. I would recommend parsing the crater out into like little chunks because I spent like hours in there just finishing off and it actually just killed the pacing at the end of the game. Yeah, that's what happened with me. Like, And for just for clarity's sake, I fucking loved the crater. I thought yeah. pretty much everything in it is excellent. There's a load of boss fights, there's a load of side quests, there's some some deep deep lore. Uh, the world design is great. That day night cycle thing and the plants growing and changing yeah, yeah. sort of shape and character of the map. It's all excellent. It's just that the entirety of the crater is about the size of another video game. Yeah. <laughs> and by the time I finished it, I was like, I, I've I've played God of War Ragnarok twice now, and I still haven't seen the ending by the 
how it feels. Yeah. So yeah, I will. Get, I will go back to it. Um, uh, not exactly psyched to hear that there is a good bit left. I was hoping to like knock it out in another hour or two, but <laughs> not a good good bit, but not an hour or two. I'd say okay. a little bit more than that. And what I will say is that um, as a narrative driven game, I was immensely. I'm not spoiling it. I was immensely satisfied with um, how they tied this thing up, at least uh, particularly on a character level. And but I will say, like the crater popping up so late in the game, Ragnarok feels kind of cobbled together in a lot of ways it feels unwieldy and use the word bloated i think bloated is the perfect word and like just to compare it to elden ring you know even even though after this recording i hope i never compare these two games anymore because they don't really deserve to be but why not here in for a penny i think in elden ring which is a much more traditional open world of course it lets you go explore do what you want you don't feel the time passing it and you think you're not thinking because the main structure if there's a structure of that game is beating particular bosses through the map you're not kind of counting the time until it takes you to beat the first boss and the, and the second boss and the third boss. You're getting lost in it. In God of War, I almost felt every hour. Yeah. And I was acutely aware that this was a 40-hour game. 40-hour game with side content. And that's like a little bit bigger than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to bring up something um, in comparing the two. is something that happened around the, the you know, we'll, we'll someday stop talking about them, the Jeff Keighley Awards, you know, the Game Awards for Excellence, when both games were nominated for, for Best Narrative. And uh, I'm, I actually kind of want to see what you think about this. Um, and people on both sides of the fucking fence were like furious. It was like, you're either like, there was two extremes. You're either like people going Elden Ring, best narrative, but it's all just lore and item descriptions. There's no cut. And then you had people on the other side going, if you enjoy a game, a single cutscene in a game, you're a pleb. This is not, <laughs> this is not the medium for, this is not film. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta like gain narrative other ways through gameplay. And what do you think? Because I think they're both perfectly valid um, best narrative nominees. Because I yeah. think they both they both use the tools of video games to tell stories in different ways. I feel like a big part of that dispute came from people maybe equating the word narrative to exclusively mean plot, and it mm. doesn't. Like it, the narrative design is is in how you make your world, how you build your lore, the story behind everything. And on that grounds, like Elden Ring absolutely did deserve a nomination. Probably didn't deserve to win it. I'm not arguing yeah, in that case. But, but God it, of War won it. Yeah, exactly. And from what I've seen of God of War, like if they stick the landing based on how the the, the plot and the story has been going, like I, I have no qualms with that whatsoever. It's great. Um, big shout out to um, some of the performances as well, particularly uh, Toby from the West Wing playing Odin like a mob boss. Yeah, very, very good. Excellent. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like not to, you know, risk splinters of the bottom by being a fence sitter, but I mean, there's room in the world for both, right? I love it. I, I love that. So it feels good as a gamer. It feels good to have both of them, and like just because you have to do this, since I brought them both up. Um, yeah, Elden Ring's my favorite. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's imperative. No, it's a better game. Yeah, but I understand. I, I understand people bouncing off Elden Ring in a big in a big way. I really do. Also, because, yeah. Also, because like who, sometimes who got the time? I also do think it's like the perfect. I prefer. I've only played two of them. Actually, Marcy, if I was talking about games of that didn't come out in 2022 that i would like you know that i played it bloodborne would be the main one for me mm. bloodborne is in the top 10 games of all time for me now and i played it this year it's probably the most significant thing i did gaming wise <laughs> <laughs> this year but i think elden ring might be like um it's it, it, the fact that it went it took this um genre the series with the dark souls the bloodborns the Soulsborns, i should say that it made them um open world is actually a stroke of genius because there's always argument arguments like should um uh, these games have an easy difficulty. 
and this is not the episode to be talking about this. The answer is no, by the way. But what's, what's, what's perfect is it doesn't need an easy mode with Elden Ring because you have so many options of what to do. If you're stuck here, you can go off to 10,000 things. And I guarantee there's people because Bloodborne can, can lock you, skill lock you at certain points in that game if you can't beat a boss yourself. I guarantee there's so many people out there who think they might not like it because it's difficult, but it's so malleable. It's so customizable. You play it your own way and you just get lost in it and don't and forget about the bosses you need to be. Just get lost in that world. Uh, we as we talked about <laughs> feverishly in a previous episode, I'm a little bit tired of open world games as well. But like Breath of the Wild five years ago, six years ago now, damn Christ, mm. uh, Elden Ring was the one that made me kind of go, wow. Just sometimes open world, no kind of um, forward narrative momentum, just kind of leave a player there is the right way to go. And I think Elden Ring is a masterpiece, absolute masterpiece. And I understand, like I said, people not liking it. I don't understand people absolutely just decrying it as like the death of it it's got because this thing sold 10 million it's so popular now whenever a game gets that big you always have people who just don't they're online going i don't understand i, I i've been playing games all my life how is this popular like i don't I, I understand not liking it not vibing with it i don't understand thinking it's a piece of shit because it's so clearly not it's so clearly lovingly made but as a kind of final cap i'm glad not all games are elden ring and i'm glad not all games are god of war ragnarok but they're my two favorite games this year and I'd like to do more on God of War when um, more people have played it. <laughs> I can talk about it. Yeah, for sure. We'll definitely circle back to mm. God of War. Um, I was just going to say this before, before you move on to Kevin. Like, I, I was someone who didn't, who didn't like adore Elden Ring in yeah. the same way maybe as you, yourself did. Um, but and because it's the challenge put me off, I won't lie. Um, but I genuinely think in twenty years' time, it's a game we'll still be talking about an awful lot because it's a, it's I think it's feel like it's an important game. It's a game that the industry sure. needed to come along. And it's a game that I am so surprised it was so popular because of what it is. Um, but it's fantastic that it was. Um, I don't think in 20 years' time you'll talk about God of War Ragnarok. You might talk about the first God of War, but you won't talk about you, know, you mm. won't talk about Ragnarok in the same way. Um, and as much of it, yeah, it isn't maybe the type of narrative we've come to expect from video games for the last few years where Every AAA game now has the best mocap, has like actors lending their 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 voices, you know, proper you know composers coming in and doing the the music. Um, that was the thing I loved the most about Elden Ring. Like mm-hmm. I was I was almost disappointed that I wasn't good enough at it to get yeah. more to find more about about the lore and to find out more about the story. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think you're bang on, Liam. This it'd be fantastic if that's what open world games were from now on. Like they were like a breath of the, world, a breath of the you know, of the winter and, and they were like Elden Ring where we, you do get this kind of choice to kind of, you know, take it on like, the way you want. Um, but it's just too fucking hard as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get the, like the, it is like, I, I've, I've made no bones about it. It is absolutely my game of the year. Um, I, I, I love it. I love the, the customizability of the combat. I like, it's like you said that you know the, the game doesn't need an easy mode because it just gives you like a hundred different tools that you can use and a hundred different paths you can go down, and some combination of those tools on one of those paths you'll find a sort of path of least resistance and you'll make progress and you'll level up and you'll find better gear and then you'll try a different path that maybe stumped you a while ago and it'll work a little bit better this time, and it's all just feeds into just the exploration of it. It's just sort of being in this world and making your way around it. It's, it's um. It's an incredibly generous game. It's just yeah, sure. absolutely packed full of just shit for you to do. 
It's actually and, more and on your it's more on your side than people think as well. It's kind it of gunning yeah, for you. It's gunning absolutely. for you. Elden Ring definitely wants you to do well. It wants you to see its content. It's just making you work for it a little bit. <laughs> but, people uh, are sick of hearing about these Elden Rings and these gods of wars. Kev, what do you what do you bring to the table? What indie wonderment, as you've uh, suggested? <laughs> yeah. What did you say earlier? Is it Slug World Two? <laughs> I can't remember what I said. Yeah. Some shite. <laughs> no. Okay. The game that I have picked is one that I played relatively recently, uh, devoured it in like two sittings over two afternoons, and was like, I'm going to tell Liam about this, but I'm going to tell him on the podcast. Oh, very I'm interesting. Going to sell it to him. Have you heard of the case of the Golden Idol? Yes, I've had both my eyes on it, actually. <laughs> With yeah. much intrigue. Okay, um, then you're already well aware that it is right up your street. It's a point and click, right? It's it, Yeah, but it's it's a point and click, but it's also Return of the Oberd Inn. Oh. oh, wow. That was a that genuine was and sincere that was, response. That was an involuntary noise I just made. <laughs> yeah. So it's... um. It's a, a labor of love. It's a, made by a two-person studio called Color Gray Games. I think they're Latvian. Um, and they've stated that like their two big influences on this were uh, Lucas Pope's Return of the Oberdin, which we've spoken about before and is an absolute fucking cracker of a game. Mm-hmm. And the other big influence was um, uh, Mark Brown, uh, Game Maker's Toolkit on YouTube, did a video oh. about detective games and and you know what makes them work and what doesn't so they kind of drew inspiration from the two of these things to put together kind of an almost perfect detective game so it plays out in these sort of 2d scenes like a point and click game and what you see is effectively like the instant of or immediately after a murder so like like in Oberdin, where you'll see the last few seconds of someone's life and have to put together details in this you're seeing a, a 2d tableau of the murder um it takes place i think it's uh, 11 scenes across 40 years during the 18th century in england and it's real simple it's sort of it's split between two phases you have the exploring phase and the thinking phase and during the exploring phase it's like a point and click game you move your mouse around you click on things around the map you can click on items, get a bit more information about them. You can click into letters and things to read them. If you click on a person, you'll get the sentence that they were saying at or around the time of the murder, and you'll get to see the contents of their pockets. And when you interact with anything, be that a person or an item or a book, anytime there's a text description, some of the keywords will be underlined in red. And you can click on those keywords, and they'll get added to a bar across the bottom of your screen. So in the exploration phase, you're going around, you're collecting all the words, some of which are out of the murder, some are red herrings. So you'll collect like a list of, of nouns, of like items, people's names. You'll get some verbs. You'll get locations. Um, and then when you've collected everything, little green tick will appear. It'll tell you that you've got all the information from the scene. And then you can click over to the thinking phase. And during the thinking phase, it asks you to sort of literally and metaphorically fill in the blanks. It'll present you with basically a paragraph explaining what has just happened with all the keywords left out. And it's up to you to fill in, you know, John Smith pushed someone else 
down the stairs. And you so fill you're in kind the of th- you're kind of thinking about it. You're kind of solving it, but you're also your your words are almost an inventory system as well. Exactly. Items, yeah. But you have to but you have to use them in a way that makes sure you actually are following the, the through line. Yeah. The plot. It, it's the, the words serve the purpose of they're the notes that you take during the game. They're like hints towards the solution, and then as you said, they're they're literally your inventory as well. Mm. There's sort of this triple purpose thing going on. And each thinking phase presents you with the solution that you have to fill in. And then there'll normally be one or two other puzzles. One will normally be mugshots of everyone who's present in the scene. And you can find their names to match them up. And if you get everybody right, that goes green. And then the other one will normally be something that's related to something that's happening in the scene that maybe doesn't give you the solution, but might help you rule someone out or might help you work Mm -hmm. something else out. So... The brilliance of it is along the same way that Oberdin is kind of very picky about when it will give you information back. With Golden Idol, whenever you fill in either the solution or one of these other puzzles, if you are, if you have three or more words out of place, it just goes red. You're wrong. If you have two or one words out of place, it tells you two or fewer words are correct. But it never tells you which two. It never tells you whether it's two or one. It just tells you that you're close. So that you, it gives you just enough of a prompt to go, okay, something isn't right here. And it kind of gets you back into the scene to find more stuff and go at it again. And it is perfectly pitched and balanced in terms of puzzle difficulty. Because I think with sort of point and click games or sort of any kind of detective games, there's a spectrum where if it's too easy, it stops being fun. Because it, it stops feeling like a game and starts feeling like slightly awkward reading. <laughs> You're just reading a story that you have to do a yeah. little bit of work to see the next bit. And mm-hmm. then the flip side of that is like, if a puzzle Over solution thing. is too esoteric or too weird, like um, the monkey wrench in Monkey Island 2, when when you finally get it, either by trial and error, brute force, or by giving up and looking it up, you're like, ah, fuck you guys. It's the worst. It's my least favorite puzzle in Point of Click Adventure history. Yeah, I, and, 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 I did a rant about it on my Monkey Island episode. It's just because you did, episode. yeah. I remember yeah. yeah. And you're, you're, you're factually correct. It's garbage. <laughs> yeah. um, and Golden Idol threads that line so well. In that music to my ears, man. Some of the puzzles are so fiendishly clever that like I would finish them. I played it on Steam on my MacBook, and I would finish them, and I would put the laptop down, and I would sit and think for a minute before going back to it. Like bloody Sherlock Holmes, aren't you? Yeah, it, it actually really reminded me in a way of um, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, the the deduction board game thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it, it just throws so much information at you and then tasks you with finding what's relevant and what isn't. And when you get it, you f- do feel like a goddamn fucking genius. <laughs> um, I like cannot recommend it highly enough. It is currently only available on Steam. Um, which limits its availability somewhat. Uh, I don't know if there are plans in place for a console port. I really hope there are. I think it'll be a perfect Switch game. Um, mm-hmm. I, for one, will buy it again. Color Grey Games, if you're listening, and I know you are. If you want, an- <laughs> if you want another twenty bucks, just make the Switch port. <laughs> um, I hope it does get ported. I hope more eyes get on it and more people see it. It's been out since October, and like I had heard a bit about it before playing it but not a lot. And I haven't seen it pop up in much like end of year lists and stuff. And it deserves to be there because it is excellent. It is a truly excellent game and easy recommend. And because it's sort of, it's a 2D point and click, it's a very sort of simple but effective art style. Most like potato computers will run it. If you can get Steam working on your computer, you'll probably be able to play this. That's me. Yeah, that's why I'm looking directly <laughs> at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, 
if if it in any way sounds like your cup of tea, no, do sold. check it out. Couldn't have sold me more yeah. on that. I, I've had my eyes on it, but I haven't. I'm going to say I haven't pounced. I don't know why I wanted to phrase it that way. <laughs> the minute you said spiritual successor to Return of the Obra Dinn, I was like, mm, just yeah. that right now. That's fantastic. Um, that was fascinating. I would probably rather just listen to Kev talk about that game for the next hour, to be honest. <laughs> um, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so look, the other game I'd love to chat about is uh, is Stray. Um, mm. it's yes, a game, of course. Uh, about cats. It's great. Back to you, Liam. Um, listen, I'm, Marcy, I'm glad you picked it because it spared me having to talk about it because I absolutely fucking loved it as well. I'm you, done. You, that's it. You play as a cat. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all you need. No, yeah. It, it Honestly, it was uh, it was something that I had my eye on for a while and I knew I was going to kind of love it, right? Look, most people who know me know I have a cat because um, that's all probably my social media has 99% <laughs> of the time. Um, but we, uh, like... Is she behind me? No, she's not. She's not here. Um, like about eight or nine years ago, we just had this really big fat orange cat turn up on our doorstep um, in, in Toronto. Um, and she's just stuck around. She hasn't left. And we love her. And so the minute we saw uh, a, a video game, and it was, uh, I, again, I might be wrong around this, but it, the trailer dropped around the time Cyberpunk was coming out, maybe. Um, I think the very, very first stuff, um, a lot of people thought there was some sort of connection between the two as well maybe there is i've done no research on it so it could be true um but i just remember seeing that trailer right away and going this is i have to own this i have to play it um really if you don't know what it is uh, kev kind of explained it you're a cat um and you're basically this cat that's what you both said that's what you both Uh, said immediately yeah we did sorry um you're a cat um uh, it's it's set in this kind of futuristic you know uh, city that's in this kind of walled off space um full of these kind of really cool colorful uh, robots um and you know you're you're separated from these cats uh who may be your pals uh, i wrote it down on my nose but then i thought about it i don't know they might not be we don't know much about how <laughs> their, i think they were kind of dickheads to each other at the start weren't they? I, yeah well I, steph was like they they left you yeah you know what i mean because well, what were they gonna do as, what the, he fell down a hole go back and help him if either of you fell down a hole i would i would call someone and uh, get them to help you they I don't have that higher empathy you. though they're cats also they yeah. can't talk mm-hmm. that's true um then yeah sorry i take that back yeah um <laughs> uh these dickheads uh you meant to start <laughs> abandon you uh and leave you for dead um but no really and like the game then the, the whole idea is you kind of uh you know going around the city as this kind of you know poor vulnerable cat on your own um solving puzzles meeting these robots um, there is some platforming. I don't know, Kev, what you thought about the platforming. Um, that it's, much. It's, yeah, it's rudimentary, really, isn't it? it platforming yeah, is even being generous to it. It's sort of walk up towards something that looks like it might be jump onable. If the pro- button prompt appears, press the button to jump on it. But it's fine. It works. Yeah, exactly. It's, it serves the purpose for, for what is needed, for sure. Um, uh, the actual style of the game, I adore. I like. I love anything that reminds me of Blade Runner really to be honest with you um but there's something about uh, a world where there just isn't really any humans that you can see um that really it's this kind of and and the robots are such an unusual strange design um it feels like it could be anywhere in the world or in any any other world uh, in the universe um which i absolutely loved about it um but the funny thing is when i was kind of sitting down to kind of talk about these uh these two games today um i was going to kind of talk more about uh different aspects of stray that i'm going to now um but there's a part of stray that really actually genuinely stuck at me uh after i finished playing it um 
uh, that kind of came up when I was kind of thinking about, about Guardians. Um, about, I think, about maybe about a third of the way during the game, maybe even a quarter, um, you come across this robot um, uh, called B12. Um, now, again, if you also know me, um, you know I love small, vulnerable robots. Um, I never uh, knew that about you. I've known you since school. There you go. Yeah, you were a you sure you do. Um, what will Owen definitely would. Um, oh, Wally is probably one of yeah. my favorite Pixar movies, and I just remember me and Owen would just every day we just talk about it all the time in school. Um, and Wally is the most vulnerable of all robots. Um, B12 really, really reminded me uh, of Wally. Now, I'd love to talk fully about B12's arc, but it would, there's genuine spoilers and <laughs> I would rather not give away if you are going to play it. Okay. Um, particularly as it's a short game, which I will talk about as well in a minute. Um, but the relationship that this game manages to, to create between a cat, who as we've established cannot talk, and doesn't really, by the way, have any kind of emotion. It is really just genuinely a cat. <laughs> um, you know, they could have gone with this kind of, you know, giving it more kind of, uh, you know, uh, personality almost or more emotion but they said no it's, it's a cat that's what it is um and then b12 who is this kind of this bumbling kind of scientist who's kind of who's kind of been you know turned back on and starting to find out who he is as they kind of travel through the city or try and get out of the city uh, and figure out a way to, to to get back out to you know what the they think the real world is um but it does so much in creating the relationship when one of the characters can't speak at all um and as kind of as the story progresses you start to as a player you start to really just rely on b12 uh, kind of guiding you through the game helping you through uh, you know different sections of it it's not a particularly challenging game or a difficult game um but there are occasions where these little tiny uh, terrifying little alien things will, will chase after you never seen my partner more terrified uh, in a video game because she was like the cat will get hurt that's awful I'm like oh my god it's actually true I never even thought about that um, and so you really start to rely on him and there's parts of the game where he's gone for a while um, and I haven't played many games uh, I didn't play any games last year that were that made me feel so vulnerable as kind of the main character except maybe Elden Ring uh, which again <laughs> was just because I wasn't very good at it um, but being a cat who you know when you meet B12 gives you all this kind of, he gives you this kind of, uh, this jacket you can wear, this kind of suit almost like, you know, can give you different abilities. And when you lose him for a, a portion of the game, you lose all of that as well. But you also, it sounds really lame. You do also lose the only person you can really, truly communicate with, uh, in the game as well. Now, some of the robots you can definitely meet and, uh, and kind of, you know, talk to, but they're really kind of giving you words and telling you what's going to happen next with you and B12. You, it feels like a proper, uh, kind of relationship uh, and I just I absolutely love that about it um, and again I don't want to give away any spoilers here but remember in Wally when uh, Wally very momentarily loses his memory right and you're kind of like oh my devastating. fucking absolutely, absolutely devastating, and like yeah. well, I think it came out what 2008 maybe um, yeah. it's like 2021 I that was heartbreaking like I remember being in the cinema and like uh, my so my girlfriend at the time and trying to keep the tears in because I'm like you gotta be cool man um you know I can't be crying at this Pixar movie even though I knew I was gonna cry before I even bought the ticket um but there is a scene in Stray that hit me the exact same kind of way and the thing that really really and I'm not annoyed that's not the right word but the the thing that really kind of got to me was like because I'm a cat right and that's how 
that's how that I, I'm living my experience through this cat. I can't tell B12 how I feel or how what B12 has meant to me over the five, six hours of the game I've been playing or how uh, how his adventure's been you know crazy and it's been great that they've been there at me. And I that I I hated that in a way. I hated like it was it, it felt like that, that had been kind of taken away from me. It's like, why am I a fucking cat? Or why can't I just for for five seconds as a video game just let me talk and speak to B12? Um and it was it was a really weird kind of feeling to come away from that game, getting so so connected to because I didn't really get that connected to the cat. I don't know if you found that game like the no, cat. No, same for cat. sure. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's you know I have a cat, so obviously a stray cat is a sad thing in itself. Um, but kind of it just really it, it, the relationships you had in that game. I just I found them so so fascinating because so many games I've played down to the years where you you are a protagonist who can't speak. Um, but it's very different being a human that can't speak than a cat uh, because you just don't really have that. You, people don't treat you the same way. They don't act the same way towards you. Um, and, and just like, if a video game has a relationship with a small, vulnerable robot, I'm just, I'm in um, and, I, and I want to play that game. Um, and another reason I, I really, really love Stray, and it's funny because I'm looking at some notes I took here, but Liam has already had a little mini rant on this. Oh. Um, I, like I'm, I, this podcast is very optimistic, which is why I really enjoy it, right? I enjoy because we're, we're generally very positive about the video game industry, which isn't always industry that is very positive. God, um, no. But I'm genuinely really fucking sick of very long games. Um, right. I um, And like, it's a kind of thing where maybe it's I'm getting old and I am being a bit of a curmudgeon um, that, you know, I haven't got the time to play a 40, 50 hour game. That's not true. Because I told you to start this podcast to play foot manager for three hundred hours, um, so we know it's not true. But it is really a thing now where it just feels like every triple A game that comes out, there's this need where it has to be forty hours long. It has to have insane amounts of content. Um, there was a game uh, Stephanie was playing not too long ago, which we all know very well, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, and she she should play games very often, but she loved the previous game, uh, Origins, played it to death. And she actually put down Odyssey after only about ten hours, and I was like, "Why?" I said, "It's like I was going to be I was like it's the same game. Uh, they've just they've, they've just moved it to Greece." I was like, "You should love it." And she's like, "There's just too much." Yeah. Like when I open up the map, I see what I have to do. She says, "Why is it now a chore? Like I I want to get to explore the story and enjoy it, but why do I have to put in 40, 50, 60 hours?" Um, and I think Stray, Stray is this kind of tight five, six, seven hour story. It wouldn't need to be any longer at all. Anyway, I don't think they could make it 40 hours if they tried. Um, but it was just so refreshing at the time. Um, I think I'd come off a couple of longer games. I think I just played the fucking dumpster fire that is Far Cry 5, oh, yes. um, which I'll never get. And I was like 40 hours. I'll never get that back. Yeah. Um, and so the place I made that was, it was just nice. It just like, a, you know, I had the experience. I, the, I got to em- embrace the entire story. It came with something I enjoyed. I also didn't lose not say lose, but I didn't invest, you know, four or five, six weekends um, to try and actually get through the game. Um, and I think it's going to kind of change how I play games this year. Um, I, I really feel I'm going to, starting with The Secret of Monkey Island, um, just shorter shorter video games that maybe appreciate my time a lot, lot more. Um, and so unless, you you're, unless you're 10-year-old me and, and The Secret of Monkey Island is literally six months long. <laughs> I, don't have ac- I don't have access to a walkthrough. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have access to you and Kevin now. Um, <laughs> so you guys will be asking uh, for any help. Um, but Stray was just like one of those kind of, uh, there's something to be said, man. Like, I, I, 
someday on this podcast, I'm sure we'll do a top 10 each. Maybe we'll get to that point. Um, there's something to be said for like a shorter video game and the impact it has on you. Um, Definitely. Completely you know, agree. Yeah, it just, they can really, really stick with you for some reason. So um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I think Ubisoft are to blame for games being longer. I have no information to back that up. I think it's definitely a factor for sure. I think. Yeah, I think it's them. I think the the sort of the the third person open world format thing that kind of came into being with the 3D GTAs, maybe sort of coming from GTA 3, and then the Ubisoft games kind of built off the back of that. They took that format of go here to get a mission, to go there to do a thing, to come back to give in the mission, and then they just added towers to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then they found and a way then, to comprehensively waste your time for 40 to 90 hours. You should look at Valhalla with all that bullshit DLC on it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And there are games out there that earn their long runtime. Absolutely. It's just that they're, it's just that they're absolutely being outnumbered these days by yeah. ones that don't. Yeah, I put, I, a God of War game that I genuinely love, I don't think quite earned its 40-hour runtime. Yeah. And like, not to bring everything back to how much I love Elden Ring, but I, I put about 140 hours into that. And no I did, problem I didn't, with it. didn't see everything. Um, mm. I will likely never play it again. Yeah, unlike the other That's Souls okay. games, because I got what I needed out of it. But yeah, shorter but games then, by and large, it's the way you go. But it's true. I've never actually heard someone make that as a complaint about Elden Ring about its length, even though I've, you know, it's a game where if you want to see the ending, you you have to put in the time, um, unless you're some sort of freak. Um, but yeah, I th- think Stray for me is a game. Uh, like I think I might play it genuinely every year because it's just such a yeah. short nice I experience. love games like that um it's fantastic yeah it's it's such a nice thing to find something like that um and you know i love my cat oh nice i do yeah she's great yeah do you mind if i um do you mind if i shout on about a jrpg that i played this year so oh i'd be offended if you didn't mate <laughs> go ahead i played a game on the nintendo switch this year called live alive are we 100 percent confident that that is how you say it I looked it up okay. before the episode because I thought because it, it's a terrible um, Squaresoft uh, Japanese title. Like you know, I was like, is it live a live? Live, live alive. Alive? No, live, alive, 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 live alive. Okay. Now I was. Um, I have a huge affinity for. Do you know what? I'm going to be. I'm going to say this. Squaresoft much more than Square Enix. Yeah. It's just the Absolutely. time frame of that company. I love the '90s for Squaresoft before they merged. It's not. It's not because they merged. It's just coincidence. And. Live Alive is a game that came out in 1994 that never saw release outside of um, Japan. And I'm quite, I had my emulation days and I used to emulate games that never came out in Europe, never came out in, in the West in general. And I'll admit, I'd, lo- I'd love to be the biggest nerd in the room. I'd, I'd never heard of it. Completely slipped me by. But there's this dude who works at Squaresoft called Takeshi Tokida and he's literally designed for Final Fantasy IV. And then he went on to be like the lead designer, director and writer for Chrono Trigger, which is like literally maybe my favorite jrpg of all time i think an absolute 10 out of 10 masterpiece so for me to discover that there's this he directed this game live alive in between those two things it's i swear to god it's like finding out there's some secret stanley kubrick movie that <laughs> that was made that has been unearthed or something like that i'm such a big fan of 90 square like 90s final fantasy and chrono trigger that when I, when I found out about this game i would have bought it as is they could have just released it like i'm hugely in favor of the in this day and age when japan knows they finally understand that the West want to play all their shit, maybe even more than people who actually live in Japan. I'm fully in favor of them just sending the games over to us. Nintendo randomly just released a Fire Emblem for the NES on the virtual console that never came out. And I just love stuff like that. Because I think, genuinely, I think everyone should play retro games. I think think those is all media you should always look. And by the way, 
when I say retro, I'm talking about the Wii, it's including the Wii. Even <laughs> this, you know, we're quite old. We're quite old now. I truly believe it's nourishing to play old retro games. Unfortunately, the availability is one thing, but also sometimes, you know, it's, it's sometimes the quality of life things aren't quite the same back back then. So here is an ideal one for me. Squaresoft put in the goddamn effort and redid this game from the ground up with what they're calling HD 2D graphics, which is essentially still sprite-based, at least the characters are sprites. The backgrounds are 3D models made to look like sprites. It's genuinely such a beautiful art style and the best way to present these games. And for me, who's in favor of give us all the Japanese-only games, please, for them to put this amount of effort into it was an absolute godsend. Like I, I, I think it's quite, quite niche, maybe a little bit... Um, yeah, just for kind of GRPG nerds. But I was just, this was, it suddenly became one of my most anticipated games of the year after I found out it existed. I was like, this little secret chapter of Squaresoft, you know? And I finally played it. And I'm delighted to say that the best thing about it is that it came out in 1994, came out between, came out the same year as Final Fantasy VI. And it's so experimental. And I loved, like, I love seeing a GRPG, which is one of my favorite genres ever. But Kev, I know, Jonathan, you, you've, you've, tiptoed into the genre but kev i know you've played a lot but you might agree with me that sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to play these games because you feel like they're kind of a bit samesy sometimes yeah yeah big I, 90 hour adventures hit all the marks all the beats all the character tropes you know and stuff like that yeah i, I relatively recently bounced very hard off octopath traveler despite thinking yeah. i was gonna love it because it just and apparently there's spiritual connections to these two games really octopath and Live okay Live, yeah Live Alive is a weirdly structured JRPG, and honestly, weirdly structured JRPG as a phrase is just like my favorite phrase. It's what I want to hear. <laughs> you start the game and you can pick of seven main characters, and they're all from different timelines. There's a prehistoric timeline, there's like ancient China, there's ancient Japan, there's the future. There's seven of them, and you can play their little stories in any order you want. And there is a battle system in this game, it's a ter- great turn based battle system in this game. But what became immediately apparent when I started playing it was. The designers were very interested in um, the, the, the playing with story rather than, you know, the structure of their game or their um, just the games like RPG systems. So if you're someone who's like, I, I want to get into a really kind of in-depth GRPG system, this isn't your game because for the first like 20 hours, maybe a bit less, you're, and you're playing these seven scenarios in any order you want, you're essentially playing kind of experimental short RPG games. Like here's a little three-hour JRPG where you play as a cowboy. And you have to defend a town like like the Magnificent Seven. And you have to set up traps in the town. And then the, the amount of traps that you make depend on how well your fights are going to go later. Or there's one where you play the little robot in, in, on a ship in the future. And you don't do a turn-based battle until the final boss of that part. The whole thing is just a JRPG take on fucking Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien. Fantastic. Except except in, so instead, of, in, instead, of an, instead of an Alien, there's a a legendary Pokemon on board, <laughs> on board a ship. And there's, yep. and you're there with a cast of characters who all have like backstories and personality who all get like systematically killed off by the monster. And it's just atmosphere. And it's just, and like, as soon as I kind of realized that I kind of jived it, I was like, okay, this is what it's doing. So I'm going to appreciate it for that. I'm going to appreciate it as a kind of very narrative heavy game. And there's some great ones. There's one as a ninja where it's all stealth. There is um, one that's essentially played out as like street fighter two gauntlet of fights. And you pick, 90s looking characters from a, a fighting select screen and stuff like that fantastic after you do those seven things and they're all great they're all charming in their own ways i like some more than others but they're all super charming and i must say just uh, the english localization fully voice acted 
and great attention to detail in the writing. So they really put the effort in with this um, remake. And then after that, you unlock an eighth scenario, which is set in the Middle Ages and ends up being a very traditional um, fantasy adventure JRPG. And then turn-based battles are in it and a silent protagonist. And I was like, oh, I get to unlock the least interesting one. Great, that's, <laughs> that's good. But narratively, that one turns out to be the most interesting. And then that springs forward into what would arguably maybe be the final third of the game where timey-wimey shit happens and all seven of your protagonists get sucked into one place and you have to do this final part of the game. You choose one of them to be your new main character and they're the main character for the rest of the game. And it's like a mini Breath of the Wild. You know where your final dungeon is, but all you have to do is wander around this place and find the other main characters, level them up. There's each there's seven dungeons that each correlates to one of them where you can get their ultimate weapon and you got to like basically prepare yourself for the final fight. And I was literally playing it. I had this like, you know, you get sucked into games, you just you and the TV or whatever. But I, I, I had a moment where I got sucked out of it and I just went, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just, oh, this is like giving me the fuzzies. But I'm going to spend a tiny bit more talking about this in all negative because okay. it's it's as experimental as the first part of the game is. And just so, so narratively like weird. I was going to say ambitious, but it's narratively weird, which is also a compliment. Then 1994 creeps into the latter half the final when it's just kind of like stuff that's just such a shame for example because you can choose your main character and because you can find all the other characters in any order you want there's kind of stock dialogue so yeah. they're actually they actually never talk to each other there's no interplay between the characters and you want that after yeah. like oh they're all from different timelines and they get smashed together you want to see them talk but no there's just kind of stock things they say to each other another problem is that like in like it's very easy to compare it to final fantasy 6 as well which came out the same year in final fantasy 6 a year passes halfway through that game and you have to refine all your characters. That's much more played for emotion and like emotional residence and, and story than this one is. But what's great about the gameplay of that is you, that's all leading up to you going to a final dungeon where you need to split your characters into three teams. So you can't have all your best characters in one team. You need to space them out and kind of create the best three teams you can. And all the gameplay up to that is leading you to kind of preparing for that and leveling up your characters. Now nah, in Live Alive, you just choose your best four characters. And I put in the, I put in the effort of like, trying to find all their ultimate weapons and make the best team I can, leveling them up around the same. And I, I was hoping for a big ending where I'd have to use them all, but no. And the final big 1994 shame is that there's a little secret dungeon that you do. You don't have, you can do zero of them. You can do seven of them. I did them all. We have where the prize is getting their ultimate weapons. So you can be the best for the final fight. The dungeons are balls. Absolute shite. <laughs> really? They're the, they're the worst example of just labyrinthine corridor oh, GRPG dungeons where you just get lost in samey rooms and they all have a gimmick and each gimmick is quite bad so i had no, i had no qualms about jumping online actually and just helping myself out with a walkthrough because it was starting to get very tedious but that's kind of it um i this game is the game is imperfect because of those kind of i don't know like aged aspects of it but i'm just giddy that i got to experience it like it was just this like hidden chapter of a genre a company uh, just the medium of gaming that I, like, I never got to see. It also has a uh, Yoko Shinomura doing the the music, who's like she's like one of my favorites. Like she was an upper comer, up and comer. She did. She worked for Capcom for a little bit and did Street Fighter too. Just like she's like, nah, I'm just gonna like I'm in my early twenties. I'm just gonna like write eight iconic tracks for a game. You I'm imagine, just like Nick. whatever. And then she went on to do like stuff with Kingdom Hearts and um, Final Fantasy 15 and stuff of like that. But this is another cool thing about Life of Life. It's a hidden soundtrack that she did. And you know what? But before I move on. Do you know what game it reminded me of when I was playing the first part with the really experimental, weird narrative part? They're not similar at all. But okay. I was like, this reminds me of Undertale. 
Okay. Because Undertale has systems in place. It has a JRPG battle system and JRPG mechanics and tropes, but it's much more interested than using those systems to tell its story than be a kind of solid JRPG. Mm-hmm. And Live Alive might feel different from it, but it's kind of doing the same thing for a lot of the games. So if you want like a traditional JRPG, this isn't really your one, but if you want something that's much breezier and lighter and just kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's sub 30 hours as well. I think I did it in 28. But then I did a tiny bit of research just to, and I feel a tiny bit vindicated. The main boss team in this game is called Megalomania. And the creator of Undertale, uh, Toby Fox, is it? Yep. He, yeah, na- yeah. he named his track Megalovania after it. So the dude has no played it. Okay. The, the track, the track cool. that has like, launched a thousand memes is named after yeah. it. So he must have played it. So my thinking of connecting these games wasn't too far off. Yeah. So um, I'm going to end with a tiny bit of pat in the back of that one. Anyway, on, but honestly, the other than Elden Ring and God of War, that's my game of the year. Like, I, imperfect 8 out of 10. But I love 90s. Squaresoft already, and I'm so happy I got to play this game. Yeah, I am so happy. That's been on my radar for a while. I am really looking forward to playing that one. It um, it looks really interesting. Mm, that's that's the word. That's the word. Yeah. So the the other game that I wanted to talk about today that has fully captured my heart and mind ah. is Tunic. Yes, I've wanted to play this. Now, Tunic at first glance is. First thing, you you look at it, you're going to think two things. One, this looks cute as hell, and it is. And two, this thing is wearing its Legend of Zelda influences proudly on its sleeve. Why aren't all games doing that? I I have no idea. Um, (laughs) So from the cuteness factor, your protagonist is a little, cute little fox with a little quiff that bounces around when you walk. And from the Zelda factor, like he's literally wearing essentially Link's green tunic, the, the titular tunic of the game. So you look at this, you'll think it's cute. You look at it, you'll think it's Zelda. And like both of these things are right. Uh, both of these things are true. And what you don't realize is the game is also a third thing. It's hard. It's really <laughs> fucking hard. Um, it, the, combat, the combat is really crunchy. The enemies attack very slowly and predictably. And you have to sort of manage your stamina. You have to get a shield quite early and you can parry or you have to like tank hits to your shields. So it goes out of your stamina bar instead of out of your health. Um, enemies will respawn whenever you rest at checkpoints. When you die, you'll leave a little ghost behind that you have to go to and collect your coins back. That's right, uh, baby. Yes, it's yes. a Dark Souls. It's not it's, Zelda at it's all. It's not Zelda at all. It's a fucking <laughs> Souls-like, and it's great. <laughs> um, it's it like combat, first of all does feel amazing it's really snappy it's really responsive you have like um basically in sort of a zelda fashion you kind of you have three item slots you can equip things to you're going to want to keep your sword in one of them um so you have like just your basic three hit combo you have your shield you have your roll and that's about it in terms of stuff that you can reliably have and like the enemy attack patterns are usually very predictable. The hits are really well telegraphed. So when you get scronked, and you will get scronked, it feels like your fault, <laughs> which is a, okay. good, a good thing and a bad That's thing. Good. Yeah. But it, okay. it's, no, it's, it's a good it, thing. It's, it's good, good, thing. It's good <laughs> in that it feels fair. Uh, yeah. So it, it has that same sort of loop that you get in like a Souls game when it's working, when it's not punishing you, when you're doing that sort of fail, fail again, fail better, where you're like, I don't mind attempting this boss 17 times if that's if I'm getting a little bit better at it every time, you know? It keeps you going back to it until you get it 
just right and it feels fucking great um but as good as the combat is the combat is not why i love this game Hmm. the world design and the level design in this thing are excellent like i cannot stress enough i'm like i'm hesitant to explain the ways in which it's brilliant because finding them is part of the brilliance but it takes that that idea that you see in lots of games was kind of highlighted in dark souls the idea of sort of known as the door to before you know when you explore an area for ages you're like climb something you kick down a ladder and you go down and then you're back sort of where you were before but you've like opened up a new shortcut to a different path and it gives this world sort of an interconnected feeling where no matter how far you venture you kind of eventually end up coming back to a bit you know from a different angle that kind of really grounds you in that world um it's really satisfying it's really clever there's it uses the sort of the isometric camera angle to hide paths from you like you'll come out of a cave into an area that you've been through 20 times next to a bush and you've been like just because of the way the camera is angled i never thought to walk into that corner but this path has Mm. been here the whole fucking time is that annoying or is that cool it's very cool okay (laughs) um because it happens so often it might annoy you the first time and then by the third time you're like ah you did it again you son of a bitch um but the excellent level design again is not why i love this game the thing i truly love about this game is the thing that it's the hardest to talk about um we're all sort of of a similar age uh Mm -hmm. we all sort of got into video games when they used to come with big chunky manuals oh Oh, yes do you remember i don't know about you guys but i remember like um visiting a grandparent in hospital in cork and my parents buying me a video game to shut me the fuck up on the drive back to limerick and like i think it was earthworm jim I remember sitting in the back of the car and just reading and rereading the Earthworm Jim booklet in like, it was like nine o'clock at night, like waiting to go past lampposts so I could see the next page. Game manuals were fucking great. It's a sin that they're gone. I kept, when I was playing Sonic Origins, one of the best things about it and why I didn't mind, another reason I didn't mind spending 20 quid is they have a bunch of scans of old box oh, art and manuals and stuff. Very like good. And I literally That's really cool. got choked up. I'm not even joking. I was kind of in the middle of an illness, so I was kind of <laughs> choked up anyway. I was feeling, yeah, choked up and susceptible. But get a scan of the European Sonic manual, and I just remembered pouring over and looking at the enemies when I was like three and four, and it just like got me teary eyed. So yeah, the, the magic of the, the game manual. And that's why I think you will love Tunic if you feel that way about manuals because the sort of the main collectible in the game is the pages of the game's manual. That's so clever. That's really smart. Each one you find adds to the booklet and you find them out of order and you get like snippets and the manual isn't mostly in English. It's in sort of a made-up runic language with little bits of English here and there, sort of images. Um, It gives you like control prompts and things there's abilities that you don't unlock in the game you just find the page of the manual that tells you the button combination to do it you've been able to do it the whole time (laughs) you just don't know until you find the page there are no npc quest givers there's no audio logs to explain the backstory or the lore when you pick up a new item you don't get told its name or what it does it's the game is like alex horn from taskmaster it's just like all the information is on the task all the information is in the manual it's just up to you to find it and decipher it. So you're trying to infer from the few words of English, the sort of the scattered images. And again, you're finding pages out of order. So you're trying to like, you have page 37 and 39. 
and like 39 is referring to a map to an area that's mentioned on 37. So you're like, I just need to find the missing page. That's what's going to find it. And cool. when you work things out, you get these eureka moments um, that you're just like, oh, this is very clever. <laughs> um, it's just it's just a really unique and interesting game mechanic. And it's kind of made all the more surprising because it's in a game that sort of at face value, if you looked at it from the outside, could and probably has been dismissed as just a Zelda clone. But it's a Zelda clone that's also a Dark Souls. It is also a, like something else entirely. Um, in fairness now, they, they did give the fox a little green tunic. And call the game have, tunic. Yeah, no. Yes, they might have wanted they knew, that. They knew what they were doing. They, they didn't call it like find your own booklet or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't want to explain any more about it because like as with the hidden paths the stuff in the manual like finding it it's not just the best part of the game like it is the game like oh, the combat cool. is there there's like the levels to explore there is a plot going on but everything is based around this manual and putting it together and working out what's happening and why it's happening um it is available on, I think, all consoles. It's on Game Pass, so um, Xbox people, like, you've no excuse. At least try it. Um, it so is badgering people. Go I will badger keep, anyone keep, I want. Keep badgering them. Um, it, I'll just close it by saying, like, if it in any way sounds like something that would appeal to you, it probably is. Bear in mind going in that it is hard as balls. Did you get frustrated? Did you get your patented Kev rage from it? I have uninstalled it once and reinstalled it again to finish it. Did yeah. you, did you, Varsity, <laughs> do you know he does that in some kind of really some kind of wild it's, primal dance he does with the console? It's, that's it's, insult it's, the it, console. It's the only control I can exert, basically in my life. <laughs> like, I, like I can't quit my job. I can't tell my boss to fuck off. I can't tell my landlord I'm not going to pay rent. But if a game is pissing me off, I can take it off the hard drive. You have the power. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A lot of um, a lot of very interesting games there, guys. I've really enjoyed that. But before we depart, very briefly, going to throw the boat of you. Twenty twenty three. What are you looking forward to, games wise? You can tell me about what you're looking forward to in the year, but I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I just want to hear about games. Yeah. Um, New Zelda. That's happening. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy sixteen is looking more and more interesting the more they they show of it. Could I? I think one of them is going to get delayed, but it could be. A big year for Final Fantasy. We could have Final Fantasy 16 and Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, Final Fantasy Remake Part 2. Oh, yeah. It's, no, I have, I have no doubt that's going to get delayed. 16, yeah. 16, I can see coming, but uh, 7 Remake 2, whatever the fuck. Yeah, that's that's next year again at the earliest, I'd say. Other, you, you said Zelda, which I'm happy with, but I actually have my, my, uh, my gaze cast to Capcom. Couldn't be more excited for the Resident Evil 4 Remake. I was very no no about it i was like you don't need to re- you can't remake perfection then they showed one trailer and i was like i want that yeah. i would buy that <laughs> it was, it was it, absolutely fantastic it's when he parried the chainsaw with the noise isn't it it was yeah that was the the, the the cherry on top but it was the whole thing it looks fantastic that's already i think i think i think i've decided it's my second favorite game of all time the original so this could this one could be like big deal for me but i don't know if i'm gonna buy it because I don't really play fighting games anymore, so I don't know if I want to spend seventy euro on it. But everything I see about Street Fighter Six has looks me like so going. Good. It looks so good because I love Street Fighter, but I don't really play fighting games anymore. I don't like if I buy it, I won't put the time necessary into it. But I keep watching like stream because it was had a closed beta for a while, so I was watching like YouTubers play it, and I was just like, oh, I love it though. I love the ASIC because Five 
literally did nothing for me. I was like, I don't care what I don't. I look that's more, that's bland, that's paste. But this one, the aesthetics, the the new characters, I'm just like weirdly thinking, will I? I'm worried that I'll spend seventy euro on Street Fighter Six and play for two days and like play online and get beaten and go home. Yeah, and then not have the patience to put the effort in because I don't know if they're my. It's my genre. I might actually just this very modern thing. It might just be a genre I experience through the culture from now on, just through streamers and YouTube YouTubers and people yeah. online, you know? Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on that one. I'm hoping that it, it, it looks, from what they've said so far, there's going to be kind of a robust single-player mode on it. Because Yeah, like, it's kind of an adventure mode thing. Yeah, because that I think I could really get into, because I'm, I'm just too old and my thumbs are too weak and slow, <laughs> and I can't play fighting games the way I used to. And if I go <laughs> online, I will get destroyed. So, mm. But if there is like a single-player mode, particularly one where I can turn down the difficulty without telling anyone, <laughs> I think that's really uninstall it. I more than likely will. I uh, I can't wait. There's really one game I'm looking forward to next year. It's Baldur's Gate Three. Oh. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. I knew yeah, you were going to say that. Yeah. Gonna yes. say, yeah, like I've I've dabbled twice with the beta, and both times I've put it down because I'm like, no, I want to. I need to have all of all of it in, in front of me. I need to have access to all of it. I think it's out in August, so I really, really hope it doesn't get delayed. And if kind of sneak suspicion it might and then the other game i'd love to play next year which will get delayed um, is company of heroes 3 um which i don't think either of you no. played or maybe even know which is totally fine uh, i know company really... of heroes is, it, is this a return of the brand or have i just not been noticing that new company of heroes games have been coming out uh it's a it's the third one and i think the second okay. one came out just more than a decade ago like i, thought, I knew i, thought, I knew yeah, it was ages yeah, ago yeah, 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 i thought yeah, series sorry, is yeah. done and that's then what i meant yeah that's like, what i meant yeah, we'll, we'll make a third one and so i that, mm. that kind of I'm, I'm very excited for as well but yeah bars get three i i literally can't wait i'm expecting everything to be delayed genuinely though like we said about final fantasy i i also expect zelda to be delayed i think it has one more delay in it i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised if it's delayed but still releases this year yeah i'm thinking autumn yeah winter winter maybe but i'd love to be pleasantly surprised yeah. Like Starfield is also apparently going to happen this year. Then yeah, Marcy, that, that's your big thing as well, isn't it? I'll have to buy an Xbox because I don't own one. Oh. Um, so I'm still debating that. My PC would have been fine up to about <laughs> seven seven hours ago. Up until the power uh, of Christ so. compelled it to stop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Jesus Christ is uh, is fucking up my life again. Uh, but no, yeah, I definitely can't wait for Starfield. But like, look, the last few games Bethesda have released have been uh, like Fallout seventy six burned me bad man so Ooh, we, yeah. we'll see i'm 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 not super pumped for it because i think it'll be it'll be a buggy mess oh yeah yeah more than likely well that's that was a super fun super long episode of hey look listen and i hope the audience got you know inspired to play some games that i actually did like everything you talked about there like Odin guardians galaxy which i played before but i'm like oh god i want to play those now i started stray and just put it down for no reason as well can you put the yeah. cat down no I- <laughs> that's <laughs> an awful feature oh god <laughs> so i actually genuinely want to play every game you talked about so i really enjoyed that one before we wrap up liam can i ask you a quick question yeah is everything okay why because we've just had a game of the year discussion in a year where ron gilbert released a new monkey island and you didn't bring yeah. it up uh, did you expect me to did thought, you expect me yeah to? i really did i thought it was gonna be only, i thought it was gonna be your favorite game of the year genuinely it's you, not you, my you favorite game of the year it. it's not my favorite game of the year even though i was very smitten with it and also, kind of, I was talking about God. If I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't like just go like things to talk about, but I'll do it later. I have a Monkey Island mega episode plan that I want to do myself and just talk about the whole series. Okay. The whole series. So I'll give you a week off when that happens. But um, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to do it yet. So I'm absolutely going to talk about Return to Monkey Island. I have so many opinions about it. But honestly, 
if I was going to choose three this year, yeah, it's Elden Ring, God of War, and Live Alive, the three I chose. So I like it's my fourth probably is Monkey Island. No one's talking about it. it yeah. I, it's it's 30 years old and I think it's important to everyone, but it's really not like it's really yeah, I, right. I'm, I'm a part of a, a little niche little group, you know. But well, I mean, thanks I'll, for sharing I'll, 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 uh, I'll come back to you when I've uh, played the first one and let you know. Very excited about that. So thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed um, us just ruminating on the year gone because no more looking back, only forward as we. God, like I'm, I make noises when I bend down to pick things. I'm so old, like yeah. oh, so old. my knee here. I can feel, I can feel the dampness in my knee. It's cold. Uh, that's something else. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so wizard's curse. Spilled okay. your lilt. I was Liam Sheen. I was joined here by Jonathan Marcy and Kevin O'Carroll. And thank you so much for listening. Bye, everyone. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Bye.